We're going to read together from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It begins in chapter 5. And Jesus starts there with a description of what a Christian will be like. He doesn't give us a list of things that we're to try and attain to when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek. Those aren't a ladder for us to climb up. They are a mirror for us to look in and say, is this me? Is this what I'm like? Because this is what a Christian is like. He then talks about how the Christian will react to the world and the illustration he uses is salt and light. He goes on to describe the Christian's relationship to the law of God and how a proper understanding of God's law is so different from that given by the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Over and over again in that chapter, Jesus says, you have heard that it has been said, but I say to you, and he gives them a proper understanding of what God's law is all about. And then chapter five ends with this incredible exhortation that we are to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Showing that the thing that's special about us as believers is not our background, our education, our status, our efforts, but our relationship with God, which is now one of father and child. Yeah, father and child child and that keeps recurring through this sermon and certainly through the chapter the first bit of which we have read today dr martin lloyd jones says that this chapter is a new section he describes it like this it's a picture of the christian living his life in the world in the presence of god in active submission to god and in entire dependence upon him so it's a picture of the Christian living his life in the world in the presence of God, in active submission to God and entire dependence upon him. And Dr. explains that the first 18 verses deals with the Christian in his um, worship, in the nurture of his soul, in the building of this relationship with his father. Then the rest of the chapter is the Christian in relation to all the cares and troubles and anxieties of the world. So we're dealing with this first section during this period of Lent. We're looking at these first 18 verses, how the Christian lives his life uh, and nurtures his soul in a relationship with his father. Verse 1 is 
just a general introduction to the whole theme. So that first verse lays down a principle which he then illustrates in the area of giving, praying, and fasting. Are you okay so far? Good. This is what the doctor says about this, Dr. Maslow Jones. He says this chapter is a very searching one. And then he says this, a very painful one. So what we read here, as we think about it, um, as we reflect upon it, we should find ourselves having to really think. We should find ourselves thinking about ourselves deeply as we look at these principles. We might even find ourselves in pain over it, struggling over it. That's his view of this chapter. And the principle is, in verse 1, don't do these things in order to be seen by others and in an effort to impress them. That's the basic principle. Don't do these things to be seen by others and in order to impress them. Now this morning we're going to look at being generous and giving to the needy. And that's the principle which we're going to try and apply. But in actual fact, that principle applies to every area of our lives, every area of this business of living our lives in the presence of God, in active submission to God, in dependence upon him, nurturing our soul and our relationship with him. So it applies to giving, but it applies to playing the drums, the guitar, singing, the flute, the violin, leading the worship. It applies to putting the chairs out, to sweeping up afterwards, to looking after the children, to preparing the drinks, to serving the drinks. It applies to every single aspect of our lives. We're going to try and apply it to giving to the needy, but these principles apply to everything that we do when it comes to living for God and getting to know God. So what I'm going to try and do this morning is I'm going to try and apply some things. I'm going to try and apply these things to myself. And then if you choose to, you can do the same. Yeah, I'm going to try and apply them to me and you see if you can do the same. So the first thing is this. I am to stop seeking the approval of others. I am to stop seeking the approval of others. Now, Jesus said that as we live our lives and as we do things, then people are to see us and see our good works and glorify God, uh, glorify our Father who is in heaven. Jesus said that. But there's a world of difference between that. There's a world of difference between people noticing how I live and the things I do and giving glory to my Father. There's a world of difference between that and me doing things to make sure they see me and are impressed by me. There's a world of difference. I may be truly thankful that God has blessed me with the means and the desire and the opportunity to help someone in need. I may even want to tell others about it so that God will be glorified. And all of that could be good. But at what point in that process, at what point does it become me being pleased with myself and seeking the praise of others because that's what I need? At what point does that happen? I, I kind of think it's that all the time. The danger's there all the time. 
That might be a depressing point of view. But I believe that. I sincerely believe that. And that's what this is about. I am to stop seeking the approval of others. This is a quote from the doctor. This is how, this is how deep this problem is. Man by nature desires the praise of man more than the praise of God. By nature, yeah, by nature, we're more interested in what other people think about us than we are what God thinks about us. Our very nature is to seek to impress others rather than to seek the approval of God. This is because, this is what the Bible teaches, sin is not just individual acts and omissions. Sin is not just the bad things I do and the good things I fail to do. That's not all it is. It's a principle that has infected me, that has changed me from the way God created me and intends me to be. And because of this sin, because of this principle, not just the odd things I do or don't do, but because of this principle, the way it's been described is I have been turned in on myself. I am turned in on myself. I become so self-focused and so much needing the approval of others that God is almost out of the picture. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that now, so that, that means that by, now, by nature, we don't recognize anymore. We don't value anymore the glory of God we want our own status, we want our own glory, and we want the praise of others that goes with that. And this problem is so bad, it's so deep, that unless it is dealt with, we can't even believe the gospel. Unless this issue of me being turned in on myself, needing the praise of others, forgetting about the glory of God and the approval of God, worrying about what everybody else thinks about me and how I appear, unless that is dealt with, I won't even believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus said to those who were opposing him, this is what he said, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God. Jesus there is saying, how can you believe? He's saying, you can't believe. You cannot believe because you want praise from men and not from God. Again, in Romans, Paul talks about Abraham. And he says about Abraham, that Abraham was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Abraham was strengthened in his faith. He gave glory to God. Now, that's what faith does. Faith gives glory to God. Faith comes to God, giving up all claims to self-praise, giving up all uh, sense of self-achievement. Faith comes to God empty and destitute to receive from God. Faith, that's why faith, is the way, is the, is the channel through which salvation comes. That's why faith is the one thing that really matters, yeah? The only thing that counts is faith when it comes to being right with God because faith is the only thing that gives all the glory to God. Everything else has a little bit of me in it. 
These people didn't want to believe. They couldn't believe in Jesus because they wouldn't give up their claim to praise and personal achievement. So the love of human praise is a great obstacle to faith. Jesus came into the world to set us free from the slavery to the approval and the praise of others. When we see ourselves accepted by God in Christ, this is so good. Believe it. Believe me. This is so good. This is so crucial. I'm going to say it three times. Yeah? Not this phrase. I mean, I'm going to make this point three times. Yeah, don't, don't despair. When we see ourselves accepted by God in Christ because of Christ, because of who he is, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, when I see that I am accepted and approved of by God because of Christ, when I see that and I'm satisfied with that, and in fact glory in that, in that position, the need for human praise is broken. I don't need human praise because I know that God loves me, accepts me, approves of me. How can that be? You don't know me. Some of you know me a bit. Someone knows me quite a lot. Yeah? So, and I know me. I know me. And, the, and it boggles my mind at times. It boggles my mind. How can I be accepted? How can this person with this life and these thoughts and these attitudes and this temper and all the rest of it. How can this person be approved of by God? Because I am in Christ. I am in Christ, therefore I am approved of God. And when I believe that, the, the need for human praise is broken. It's broken. It's not gone because like every other sinful desire, it remains within me and needs to be dealt with. But its hold over me is broken. Because all the acceptance that I need is mine in Christ. This is how John Piper puts it. When you have tasted... <laughs> forgive me. When you have tasted the beauty of God and the approval of God in Christ, the addiction to human approval is broken and you are free. But even when it's been dealt with, even when it's been broken, and even when we have been enabled because of that to believe the gospel and to receive Jesus and to rest in him, this desire for human praise is still there in a residual way. It's not gone completely. So we still need this kind of teaching and we still need the help and power of the Holy Spirit. But our addiction to it, the power of it, the control of it is broken. So, in my giving to the needy, I am not to use that to gain the praise of others. Or I am giving way to a desire from my old nature, which may still be there, but doesn't rule me anymore. So I am to stop seeking the, appraise of others, the approval and praise of others. I am to stop putting myself in centre stage. I am not only to refuse to announce to everyone else what I am doing, but I must stop making a big deal of it to myself as well. Do not let your, when you're giving, Jesus said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How are you going to do that? 
you're going to get a bit mixed up, aren't you? You're going to give it to the wrong person or drop it or something <laughs> if your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. How can you keep it to yourself? It's a way of saying, don't congratulate yourself. Having avoided seeking the congratulation of others, don't then start congratulating yourself and thinking what an amazing person you are. As we have seen, sin is pride. It causes me to turn away from God. Try to find my own version of good apart from God. In doing that, I need the praise and approval of others. But sin has also been described in this way. It's misplaced love. That's what sin is, misplaced love. Because what I do, I find by nature that I love myself more than I love God. Created to love God supremely. Turned in on myself. My greatest concern, my greatest focus, even my greatest adoration becomes me. Becomes me. So that even my efforts to help those in need can become all about me. My giving can be all about me. My helping people that are struggling can be all about me. Listen to how one author put this. It is all too easy to turn other people in our lives into a supporting cast for our life movie. Yeah. All too easy to turn other people in our lives into a supporting cast for our life movie. And I don't know about your life movie, but I always win an Oscar in mine. <laughs> always, always get the Oscar. So whether I advertise to others or not, I can find my purpose, my meaning, my value in what I do. And when I do that, I am simply using others to bolster and build up my self-image, my pride, and my self-love. But what if I have accepted what the Bible tells me about myself? What if I have believed that I am fallen, broken, and sinful beyond cure? And that unless someone saves me, I am lost. But that God in Christ has done that by taking the punishment for my sins. Even, even, even my self-centeredness and self-love and pride. Jesus died because of that. Shed his blood because of that. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I have been given a new nature, a new attitude, a renewed focus on God and his glory. And that all of this has been achieved for me and is freely given to me in Christ. If I believe that, then in thankfulness, I can be free to love God and serve others. I'll never do it perfectly, but I can do it truly and sincerely. I can see others as created by God to love and glorify him, but fallen, marred, and broken, just like myself, but with the potential to be renewed through the gospel. If I view them like that, they're no longer the fuel I need to feed my pride and self-love, but they are individuals that I can serve and love as God loves them. So I am not to seek the praise of others. I am not to put myself center stage. I am to be so full of love for God that I have no room for self. See, I will never free myself from this prob problem by concentrating on myself, but by being filled with God. One thing we're often reminded of here is that it's not just about trying harder, something more radical 
is needed. I hear that I mustn't seek the praise of others. I hear that I mustn't put myself center stage. And I think that's right. So I must try harder to be a better person. I must be less, less self-focused. And I focus on myself in order to try and be less self-focused. We will never get rid of self by concentrating on ourselves. I recently read this beautiful description of what it means to be a Christian. And I think this is the answer to this kind of dilemma that I'm expressing here. This beautiful description. This writer was talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in all of God's creation. And then the work of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this. Then the same Spirit brings about within us the Amen of faith to all that Christ has accomplished. Then, the same Holy Spirit brings about within us the amen of faith to all that Christ is and has accomplished. That's, for me, that's not only a beautiful description, but it's a crucial help and understanding to what we're dealing with here. We hear the gospel that is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. It's all about who he is, what he has achieved, where he is now. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. The bits in the gospel that are about me are about my fallenness, my sin, my inability, my need. Yeah, but the good news is all about Jesus, what he has done, what he has achieved in order that I can be put right. All, the good news of the gospel is all about somebody else. Here's the point. Here's the point. For the first time when I believe that, for the first time, instead of being turned in on myself, convinced, convinced of this good news, I turn away from myself and I look to someone else. I look to Jesus. And from deep within me, an amen comes. Or a yes, if you want. Or an I agree yeah. An opening of my heart to all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done. At that moment, I am freed from the need to seek the praise of others and from the self-focused life that I have lived so far because I'm looking outside of myself to Jesus. Again, that, that tendency is not completely eradicated. It's not gone completely, but it's broken. So it need not control me anymore. I can look elsewhere. And the more I do that, the less I struggle with myself. The more my vision is filled with the beauty and the glory and the wonder and all that Jesus is and all that he has done, the less I focus on myself. We fall, we grow cold, we struggle. We make the mistake of turning in on ourselves again. But we are to look outside of ourselves to who Jesus is, to all that he has done. We're to realize that his grace is a river, not a trickle. That it runs into an ocean, not a puddle. That we can dive in again and be washed and refreshed and know that we are loved and accepted and right, not in ourselves, but in Christ. And when that happens, we are freed to love God and to serve others. So I'm not to seek the praise of others. I am not to put myself center stage. I am to be filled with more of God 
and with a greater awareness of all that Jesus is and has done. But I'm not to be confused about rewards either. Jesus tells us that when we give, when we pray, when we fast, we will be rewarded. And it can be confusing, can't it? Because I think, well, hang on a minute. Aren't I supposed to do these things just because they're right? Surely I'm not supposed to do them because I'm going to get something out of it. Shouldn't we, you know, people use the word disinterested, altruistic. Shouldn't I just be doing this because I know it's right not to get anything out of it? Jesus is very clear. We will be rewarded. When you pray, shut your door. Yeah, don't let anybody know. And your father will see in secret and he will reward you. That's what Jesus said. Yeah. When you give, don't do it to see, to let others see you. Because if you do, you've had your reward. But if you give with that and you don't do it ostentatiously, you will be rewarded for that. Yeah. Jesus wants us to be motivated by the fact that we will be rewarded. He was. He was motivated by that fact. Who for the joy set that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Moses was. Moses looked for a reward. All the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, it says they looked for a city. They were looking for something that God had promised them, a reward. So how, how, do, how do we square that? How do we understand that? This is what God said to Abraham. God said to Abraham, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. I'm the reward. Knowing God, being filled with him and with his love and with his grace, that's the real reward. Knowing more of God, more of a sense of his love, more of a sense of the reality of the kingdom of God, more understanding of these precious truths, more love for the Lord Jesus Christ, more captivated, more being captivated with him. That's the reward that we are promised. So when you put the telly on, and you watch some slick presenter in a white suit telling you that if you give, whoa, you're going to get 10 times more back. If you give it to me, of course, he will say. Send it to me, and I won't send you more, but God will send you more because God has promised that you will be rewarded. When you hear that, turn away. Turn away. Give your money somewhere else, and do it secretly and do it quietly. God will reward you with himself, with his blessing and with his grace. But what a challenge. Do these things to impress others, and I have had my reward. So, let's look at some practical steps that we can take. What practical steps can we take? The, the Bible is full of this, you know. There are so many passages. I've got four pages, don't worry. I'm not going to even start on them. <laughs> I know, I can tell you bad enough already. But I've got four pages of scriptures about giving to the needy. The Bible's full of it. The Old Testament includes practical steps and laws about harvesting. When you harvested, you weren't, you weren't allowed to go right to the corners. You weren't allowed to go round twice. You weren't allowed to pick up things that you dropped because that was for the needy. There were rules about it. There was a Sabbath year for the land. So, and only the poor could gather from that Sabbath year, the food that grew in that year. There were rules for creditors to stop them charging interest and keeping clothes or tools and paying wages promptly. They were specifically warned not to be tight-fisted. 
Not to be, have a grudging heart, but to be open-handed. This is the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's some incredibly disturbing comments by Jesus. Somebody must preach on this one time. I'm not. Jesus said, when you, when you have a party, when you have a party, don't invite your friends or relatives. Because if you do, they'll just invite you back again. What's the point of that? Yeah. Jesus said, invite the needy. Work that one out. So Jesus said some really challenging things. There's the actions of the early church, the teaching and examples of the apostles. There's no time to go into it. It's massive. There is enough, though, for us to be clear that as a church, as a church, as individuals, it's not something we can ignore or be, place, be complacent about. It is not an optional extra. Giving to the needy, being generous, is not an optional extra. But there are challenges. There are practical challenges. And I can't solve this for you. I can only point out because I think if we're going to be practical, we need to. There's the challenge of the fact that we have a welfare system with all its problems and with all its difficulties, we have a welfare system. And I don't think we are to replace that welfare system. I've had people telling me, you're a Christian, you should give to me. And I'll say to them, when did you last get your benefit? I don't claim benefit. Why not? Well, I don't believe in claiming benefit. Hang on a minute. But you want me to? Yeah. So, you know, the, with all the challenges, we have to use the things that are there, the social services, the welfare system. We have to make use of these things sensibly and properly. We have a drugs and alcohol problem throughout society that, in my opinion, makes giving to the increasing numbers of beggars on our streets a real problem. You will see notices that say, don't give. Don't give your money to beggars on the streets. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not preaching, don't do that. I'm just saying, just be careful. Just think very carefully when it comes to giving. We have countless charities that call for our attention and our contributions. We have at least three, uh, and now four, uh, after this reminder this morning, I wasn't counting that one. We have at least four that are connected with our church. You know, we could sign up, couldn't we? We're stopped in the street, aren't we, by young people wanting us to sign up and give portions of our money. And the, some of the appeals on the television are so moving. Perhaps I could sign up to a few and give a regular bit of monthly income and sit back and relax. But I want to suggest that this is about more than that. It's not just about how much I give each month. What about my time? What about my concern? What am I worried about? What am I concerned about? What about my prayers? What do I pray about? You pray for your children, you pray for your mum, your dad, your family. What else do you pray about? What about my energy? How do you get tired? When are you tired, what have you been doing? What about the energy that I use? What about my friendships? What about my friendships? Am I friends with anybody who's really in need? What, what about my family? Are my family such a protected group that I'm never going to introduce to them? You know, this person that I'm with and working with, and uh, what's going, you know, what, what do we do? Could giving to the needy be an all of my life issue? So that I need to be alert every day to not only the obvious ways, but in expected ways I can serve others. Ease their burden, lighten their load, lift their spirit. Because at that particular moment, they are a person in need. Here's some very quick suggestions for you to think about. 
Let's pray. Let's believe that we will be led. And then let's take the opportunities that come, not as chance, but as providential answers to prayer. Let's be wise. Let's be wise and seek the help of our leaders. You can trust the leaders in this church. I know that in some places people worry that they're going to be misled and all the rest of it. You can trust the leaders we have. Talk to them before you do anything dramatic. Talk to them before you get involved over your head. I have known, I have heard so many stories of people who've taken somebody in, because that's what you do. If somebody's out on the street, you take them in, you give them somewhere to live. I have heard so many stories where it ends in disaster. Yeah. So if you want to help, get some advice. Talk about it. Let's not be looking for some great cause to commit ourselves to and overlook the person on our doorstep that needs a friend, the person at the bus stop, on the tube, at work, in the swimming baths, in the shop, in hospital. You know, but it's not a big enough cause. Well, let's not ignore the things we come across every day. Let's not think we're always going to get it right. But let's be willing to offer our imperfect efforts and our imperfect selves to make a difference. Let's be willing to be fooled and ripped off as well at times. It hurts. It's not nice to be lied to, to help somebody and then to find out, oh, dear me, but am I so important that it matters so much that that should stop me caring and risking to help people? Be prepared to say no. That might sound a strange thing to say when we talk about being generous and helping others. Be prepared to say no, but offer what we know they really need, which might cost us more anyway. Don't wait to get your motives perfect. They never will be. But God can bless us anyway. And be prepared to be blessed. Remember the promise? He will reward us. <laughs> be prepared to be blessed. Don't let the world and its attitude and values govern or affect us as we live by a different code and by different values. Grace, grace is over us. We're constantly encouraged to be church and then to go and be God's people where we are each day. And that's absolutely right. But what if we all forgot about what others think of us? What if we all stop seeking the approval of others and worrying about that? What if we all stop thinking the world revolves around us and the movie of our lives? What if we became so full of God and seeking more of him that we were freed to serve those around us, expressing the freeness of the grace that we've received and by our words and actions draw others to the Saviour? Let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we are here today, which is, Lord, just a representation of the grace that you have poured into our lives. We pray, Lord, that from all these too many words that have been spoken, that you will take what you want to use and apply it to our hearts and to our lives, to our spirits, by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
And we pray, Lord, that we will be people that reflect who you are and what you have done. And we pray that, Lord, as a result of our time together, needs will be met and you will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.